Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Today, we're going to travel from inside the Beltway to the banks of the mighty Mississippi as we bridge two cities, Washington and New Orleans, with our special guest, who know a thing or two about both places. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, joined by my husband, Ian. We're sitting down with a former Washington power couple who have become a force for good in the Crescent City, James Carville and Mary Madeline. Thanks, dear. On today's World Footprints, when you mention the name James Carville, democratic politics almost immediately comes to mind. A key force in the election of Bill Clinton to the presidency, James Carville is one of America's leading political consultants and on-the-air commentators. This native Louisianan is a best-selling author, actor, professor, producer, talk show host, speaker, restaurateur, and commercial spokesman. And when he's not doing all of these things, he's one of the biggest boosters of New Orleans. The thing that differentiates New Orleans from every other place in the United States, maybe every other place in the world is no one ever speaks of a quality of life here everything is about a way of life and if you stop and you think about it we don't really live so much as in a city as we live in a culture when you think of republican politics mary madeline is in the mix having served under president ronald reagan and both presidents bush 41 and 43 Mary is not only one of America's most celebrated and popular political consultants, but she's also a celebrated author, television and radio host, speaker and commentator, mother and wife, and she's married to that cute Cajun guy from the other side of the aisle. Politics aside, Mary has left a life inside the Washington Beltway and is now leaving a legacy of positive footprints in her new home, New Orleans. You know, it's so beautiful there. The, the smells, the sounds of the church bells, the streetcar clacking, or the, the, the street music, the architecture is unique in all of the country. The climate is fascinating. I mean, I just love the climate. I love everything about it, and they've, they've really, really flourished there, and all their friends love coming there, so it, just, it, all, it all worked out. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. When you mention the name James Carville, Washington politics almost immediately comes to mind. A key force in the election of Bill Clinton to the presidency in 1992, James Carville is one of America's leading political consultants and on-the-air commentators. This native Louisianan, born in the town named after his paternal grandfather, Carville, is a best-selling author, actor, producer, talk show host, speaker, restaurateur, and commercial spokesman. When he's not doing all of these things, he serves as a political science professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans, where he lives with his wife, Mary Madeline, and their two daughters. And by the way, did I mention that he and Mary were co-chairs for the host committee for Super Bowl 47, which returned to New Orleans after an 11-year hiatus. James, welcome to World Footprints. Well, thank you, Ben. Good to be here. Well, and, hey. Uh, good to be spending some time with you this morning. <laughs> indeed, indeed. As one of the leading civic ambassadors for New Orleans, your home since 2008, why is New Orleans such a special place to you? Well, because every... Every other place is defined by its quality of life. 
if you live in Washington where we lived, it was a stunningly wonderful quality of life. You had like great park system in, in, in Washington. You were served by three airports. You had world-class museums. You had the Kennedy Center. You had major league sports. You had universities, medical schools. I mean, it's a really a, a staggering sort of quality of life in Washington, D.C. And every other place sort of talks about its quality of life, and they're actually like people who can give you a total and can assign so many points to it. The thing that differentiates New Orleans from every other place in the United States, maybe every other place in the world, is no one ever speaks of a quality of life here. Everything is about a way of life. And if you stop it and you think about it, we don't really live so much as in a city as we live in a culture. And it's a it's a it's a easily identifiable, recognizable culture that that if you 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 know you hear the music oh that's New Orleans music you see the food oh that's New Orleans food you see a carnival crew oh that's New Orleans you see a, 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 a New Orleans funeral you immediately know that you see the wrought iron the architecture it all becomes identifiable as a as a larger and a significant nuanced deep culture. And so that's the thing that separates New Orleans from every other place. Our way of life is our quality of life. Mm-hmm. And and you seem to embrace that 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 Cajun culture. I mean, you you've embraced certainly your nickname, the Raging Cajun. How did you come about that? Who gave you that nickname? I, you know, it was a is a reporter in 1982. It was a woman reporter, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I think her name was Marge Fisher, and I think she worked for the Roanoke newspaper. I was doing a race in Virginia, and that was the first time I think it ever appeared in print. <laughs> but I, I, it's, it's kind of become a that, that's the that, uh, to the best of my recollection. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're you're very passionate and, and fiery personality, so I see that how that fits. Um, but you know, as as a native Louisiana, and, and you know, I mean, you grew up in a town named after your grandfather. Yeah, we call it a place more than a town, but we're going to a stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> but you were probably the most popular kid in school uh, because of that too. But how how is New Orleans different for you, having grown up there? I mean, we. You know, New Orleans is a place that really just grabs you. I can't articulate why. It certainly has grabbed us. But how does that happen to someone like yourself who grew up in in the area? There's an expression down here that says it gets all up inside you, Hmm. is what the way it's described here. That, you know, New Orleans gets all up inside you. I think after the events of uh, 2005, I, I, I came to understand. I, I participated in this culture, loved this culture, used it, abused it, and, and, and for granted that it would just always be there, and that I could take it on my own terms when and where I pleased. Mm-hmm. And it, it dawned on me that this entire thing was very fragile. That any any culture in itself is always under attack. Uh, and, uh, and and we're also under environmental attack. Uh, every, every everything you can that the, the continuation of this culture was very much in doubt uh, in late 2005 and well into 2006, even 2007. Hmm. And I felt like it, it didn't 
dawned on me it, over a period of time it dawned on me that I had a, a obligation to become if you will a culture warrior and not not a culture warrior in Fox News sense but a culture warrior in terms of, of, of preserving this and, and it thought that uh, my family would have a role to play in helping preserve this and I think that would really sort of drew me to it. A lot of cities are in our national consciousness because of crime, poverty, and a host of ills. New Orleans does have its share of problems and challenges, but it also has such a reservoir of goodwill that I think you've spoken to that allows it to overcome some of these things, as evidenced by the 8 million-plus people who come here each and every year. Why do you think that's so? Well, look, uh, we, we, we have and have had uh, problems galore, and, and certainly poverty has always been a, a, a hallmark of, of New Orleans. It is, unfortunately, it is, and, and I, crime is a problem. It, the, 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 to be more accurate about it is we have a, a gut-wrenchingly, uh, what I would call, immoral murder rate among young African-American males. Uh, and the, our mayor, and I know I've been working, been trying to, to to help on this. We've seen some improvement. It's far too high. It is it is a terrible societal problem that we have here. Uh, we're not denying it. We're trying to deal with it. We, we do have a crime problem. But our crime problem is no worse than you would expect of a, of, of a, of a city without demographics. But we do have a, a, a problem with these young people uh, uh, killing each other at, at an alarming and, and, and I think a. a, a immoral rate for, for the rest of us that live in the city. We, I think we're obligated to try to do something about it. What gives you hope that New Orleans is turning the corner? You look at where we are today compared to where we were five years ago. I, I, we had uh, What gives me hope, uh, on the day before the, the, the events of 2005, we were 809 restaurants. Today, we're probably 1,350. There are more street bands. The, the, the music come out of New Orleans. The, the people who know this tell me it's at an all-time high in terms of its creativity, its quality. We're a leading city in the United States in terms of brain gain that the kinds of people that are moving in. We're one of the five best places in the country to start a business, which has traditionally never been the, the, the case. We have honest, dynamic political leadership in our city right now. The, maybe the best we've ever had. Maybe as good as any city in the in the country. Uh, there's been a a recognition that uh, our entire culture is 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 you know has to be protected and not only protected but it has to be advanced and 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 you 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 keep hearing that you you can't go anywhere where somebody's not wearing a fleur de lis or has something in a front yard or a car level of civic pride here is at an all-time high uh you know we have billion dollars in hospital construction going on here our park system is rivals cities of three four million people uh our we're becoming the, the, the num- maybe number one destination in the country for big sporting events and cultural events. So mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of things. That, there, there are a lot of things that give me you know great optimism about life here. Well, we know you're a, a big sports fan, and you and Mary were co-chairs of the Super Bowl host committee for Super Bowl 47. And certainly, by all accounts, New Orleans did a fantastic job. And I personally thank you for rolling out the 
purple and gold carpet <laughs> for my Baltimore Ravens. And oh, uh, boy, had a fantastic wow. time there. Steve Bashotti donated two Harleys to the New Orleans Police Department right. down there. Uh, what was that experience? What was well, that like for you? It, and it was a, that spotlight back on New Orleans again. It, it was really, it, it was really a special thing, and, and I, I thought it was kind of appropriate that Baltimore and San Francisco, in kind of both cities, are a little bit like New Orleans, and that they have their own culture and their own way of doing things, and and. You know, it, uh, Baltimore. You know, New Orleans doesn't want to be Dallas, and Baltimore doesn't want to be Washington, and San Francisco doesn't want to be L.A. We're quite content with who we are, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I thought it was kind of appropriate, kind of appropriate teams. It turned out to be a, a, a really good game. It was a great uh, weekend, and you know, but we got many other things that we're going to be working on. Our big focus is going to be on the 2018. Is going to be the Tricentenary, the 300th anniversary of the city of New Orleans, and hopefully we'll get another Super Bowl back. I think the NFL is very favorably disposed to us, but you know, there's a lot of competition, so you, mm-hmm. you, we're going to have to work real hard to try to get that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're very excited about the, you know, the 208, uh, I think it's January the 9th, uh, January the 8th of 2015, is going to be the 200th anniversary of the Battle of New Orleans. And uh, Baltimoreans certainly have some. Uh, reference to the War of 1812. Uh, actually, the battle was fought in 1815 after the peace treaty. It wasn't fought in New Orleans. It was fought in Chalmette, but what the hell? You know, we, we can airbrush a little history along the way, and we'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to share with you, just, you know, for the sake of full disclosure, Ian and I have adopted New Orleans as our home away from home. We, we love the city. We travel there. Uh, every year for French Quarter Festival, and uh, we are actually working to bring a group of new travelers to New Orleans this this fall. And so when I, I talk to people who live in New Orleans, I, I like to get a sense of, you know, where the locals go, what the locals like to do. And so as a local, what is some of your favorite places to, to dine and to get entertainment? Right. I, uh, first of all, at, at, I'm be 69 in October, so I'm probably not the best person, but, but what New Orleans has more than any other city, and you can, there, first of all, in terms of the music, there are more street bands now than they've ever been before. Quint Davis told me who, who runs the Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just unbelievable, and, and I know during the, 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 the Super Bowl, there were, 180 live music venues. Now, this fall, I guarantee you, there'll be 125. I'm just, uh, probably way more than that. Uh, and, and there are, uh, you can go to any any of the hotels or have a list of them. Uh, there's a, a publication, they're, they're where you're at, they're different, so you can get them anywhere to take that list of bands. You might want to do a little bit of research before you come down here. Uh, and I don't want to like recommend. Uh, I know that my friend Irvin Mayfield has a jazz club on Bourbon Street now, which is I've been there a number of times. The music there is really yeah, good. We're big fans of him. He's been on our show down in New Orleans. Yeah, he's in. Uh, and, and, and I think it's really good that we brought you know real jazz back to to, to Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things. Uh, and, and, and you know, one of the, my favorite questions. This is a question that amuses every New Orleanian. Is sometimes people say, you know, I'm, I'm coming to New Orleans. I, I don't want to go to French Quarter. I want to go where the locals go. 
Mm-hmm. And my answer is, well, this is one local that goes to the French Quarter. <laughs> and I see a lot of my friends there, but I, I don't, I, yeah, I, yeah, you're right, the locals don't go, unless they go on a Galatoire so much, at, you know, the one through 500 block of Bourbon Street. But there are, there are a lot of really cool places in the French Quarter. Uh, the whole music scene and the, the, the Marini and, the, you know, from all the young people tell me is something. What, what, what I would suggest people do is, like, research some of the dive bars in New Orleans. We don't like anything new here. Hmm. So if there's not a a bar with a, you know, a dog with three legs sleeping in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, in a, in, a, in, a, in a dirty bathroom, we're not too interested in it. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, and there's a lot of those all around town. Right. And, you know, to, to get a car or a taxi or something and go on a dive bar, you know, on a dive bar call. Uh, the other thing is, is a new streetcar line mm-hmm. uh, is the, 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 the Canal Street line. Mm-hmm. You can take it out all the way to City Park and mm-hmm. go to, uh, there's a morning call, which I think is the best coffee in Beignet's by far in the city. They have a great place out there at City Park now. Uh, you can go out there and have some coffee and beignets, ride the streetcar. Another thing I'd highly recommend is take that Canal Street line. It's the red line. It goes right right Canal Street. Get off at, like, I think, like the 3700 block mm-hmm. and walk, uh, what I'd say, toward the lake. Walk, uh, and there's two great local restaurants that are blocking couple of three blocks off of it. Uh, one is Katie's. That's one of my favorites. Another one's called Lyuza's. And if you're really industrious, you can go on Justin, Day, walk up, uh, Justin Davis Parkway, probably be a seven, eight block walk to Parkway uh, Bakery, which is the pole boy shop that President Obama went to. Okay. Uh, and, and, and you can do that all off, all off the Canal Street line. I, I, th- I think that whole Canal Street, Mid-City area, is is underappreciated sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing prettier than taking the St. Charles line, you know. Uh, going uptown, uh, a place right off of that I'd highly recommend is a Creole Italian place called Vincent's, which is probably like the 7,500 block of St. Charles Avenue, way, 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 way uptown. But it's Creole Italian. It's very, very neighborhoody. It's kind of my neighborhood. I go to every Sunday night. It's kind of neighborhood mm. hang out. It's it's uh it's it, it's very good. Uh, and they're open for lunch, uh, kind of every day but Monday, I think, and open for dinner every night. Uh, well, these these are great suggestions, and I've been taking. Other, there are a lot of places you can you know you can walk off the line and go to. Uh, Within the by house in uptown New Orleans, we once counted there are like 24 Zagat 25 or better restaurants. That doesn't count the French Quarter or the Central Business District. Right. Like that. Uh, hmm. I love Manali's, which you can take to get off at Napoleon Avenue and walk toward the lake three blocks. And boy, the oyster bar there. Most, most locals think it's the best oyster bar in the city. <laughs> well, you know, we're. But, we're don't, but don't, 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 don't. Again, like I say, is don't. It, and also, there's nothing better than walking around the corner, the, the court in the morning when the light hits it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. Don't, uh, don't underestimate the, the, the sort of beauty and, uh, in, in, uh, again, not you, the, don't think so much the one to five hundred block of, of Bourbon or Royal, but you know, think, you know, think go go back there. It's a lot of really cool, neat places in the, in, in the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. 
are mm-hmm. really worthy of exploring. And don't fall for the thing is, oh, Jane, under the locals ever go here. You know, <laughs> I do it all the time. My, my kids love to go, too. And, hey, let's go to French Quarter night. Great, wonderful. Well, I hope we, we right see now, you. If you're in a French Quarter fest, it's going to take some, you got to have well, a strategy to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, no. Well, I hope yeah. we, we see you moseying around the French Quarter one day when when we're down there. We'll be down there a few oh, times no. this year. But well, um, hope to see you. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to kind of go outside of the borders of New Orleans. I know you're spending some time with us before you embark on a trip to Argentina. Uh, is this a leisure trip, or are you going no, for political? No, I have class for going. Okay, okay. Class. Is there? Is there? When you travel, where do you like to go? For for just you. Well, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. It just sounds like my kids say all Dad ever wants to do is go to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to Indonesia in May. Okay. Looking forward to that. Uh, I've done. I've worked in 22 different countries. I guess I've, one of the cool jobs I've ever had is I worked in Seychelles. Hmm. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. Uh, I've worked in Afghanistan. Probably not the most glamorous destination I've ever been to. Uh, I like most every place. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'll tell you a place I love going to summertime, Canada. Mm-hmm. That's one <laughs> of my favorite countries, too. That's cool. Canada's a very cool country. Yeah. Mexico is one of my favorite. I, I, you know, I, I like, I, I, I love Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, very, I mean, well, how can you beat it? I mean, it's got, you know, the, the steak down there is like better for you than the chicken here. It's all <laughs> grass-fed. There's no any, you know, it's just all natural. And there's, and there's Italians everywhere. So you got a lot of a lot of cows in Italian. So guess what? You got great, great leather goods. Absolutely. You got great Italian food. You got the best, healthiest steaks in the world. What's that not to like, man? Oh. <laughs> well, you know? Hey, you know, and you got you got counter counter circle weather. <laughs> so it's it's fall. It's October down there now, and you don't have jet lag. Ah, uh, yeah, really? Yeah, just. Yeah, pop up, you know, your your favorite sleep aid on the on the plane, and you just you sleep on the plane, and you get there, and it's like a di- this time of year, it's actually daylight savings. I think it's one hour different than Eastern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask is that even though you're no longer inside of the D.C. Beltway, you're still pretty connected to the political scene here. We see you on cable quite a bit. How different is Washington for you now that you're no longer here? I guess one of the things that when you're in Washington, you, you, you hear that uh, Washington is disconnected, and when you're there, you, you, you think, oh, there's just a lot of whining out there. And then when you get, actually, you get out in the rest of the country, and to some extent, Washington is a little bit disconnected. I think people, we tend to talk, in Washington, we tend to talk about things that we are interested in, and sometimes not so much things that are really affecting people's daily lives. I think this lack of income growth we have in this country is just is, is just like devastating to people. Yeah. And I don't think that we're anywhere close to being out of this recession for most people. I mean look for if you're a kind of Washington person and, you know, it's this is, you know, the stock market is up and, you know, the great issues of the day are, you know, gay marriage and immigration and guns. And and then these are all, don't get me wrong, they're all really, you know, issues to cover and they're important issues. But the the big issue is, is uh, the study came out since 1970, the average Americans had a $59 raise. 
and people are all working two, you know, your families, a husband and wife, both working two jobs. You got kids living at home, you know, and into their thirties. You got parents moving back in with kids. And this stuff is getting replicated around the country, and, and uh, you know, and we having a, a, a huge discussion about the debt, like it was the most immediate thing that we had to deal with, and. I, I I think there's a lot of you know pain out there mm-hmm. that is not it, it's difficult to cover and sort of difficult to acknowledge and and, and I, I, I guess that's what's, that, that's my kind of view from here. It's a little bit like a carnival parade where all the people in the parade are having a, a great time, uh, but like a lot of the people that are watching the parade. You know, his lives are not as good as the people in the parade. You know, it's some metaphor like that. Of course, Cornell is different because everybody has a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say. I, 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 the, the thing that I have come, if you ask me, what, since I've moved back and I lived here and then came back, what is the thing that I've really come to appreciate? And the answer is Mardi Gras. Mm. Mardi Gras is so much cooler than you think. And it's so better so much better now than it's ever been it's really like that sometimes you, you 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 the obvious is there and you don't think about it and when you participate in Mardi Gras it, it is a huge family event and it is an enormous local event it is it is the favorite event of any New Orleanian is Mardi Gras and for some reason tourists say well it's just that's a tourist thing down there. That's not no. The locals are into it. You go and uh, I ride in the, the Mardi Gras Day Parade, and the, you, what really strikes you is the number of families out there, mm-hmm. the diversity of the crowds, and, and, and it's not just the size of them. And now the number of crews and how good these crews are, and how diverse these crews are, and the different ones they have. It used to be a, a, a kind of closed, stuffy. Event that you know what I mean. It's 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 much much better now. I'd highly recommend Mardi Gras to to, to anybody. Not the the, the the college kid French Quarter version of Mardi, but the, where the real families out and people are having a good time and take it. It's a great kid event. It's a great young people thing. You see children and people in the ladders and you know nets and. God knows what not, and wear a mask. I, I, but I, I, I want the mayor to issue a proclamation to all people on carnival floats to give preference to people wearing masks. That, that's the big <laughs> thing in Mardi Gras. Well, you know, you know, one one thing about wearing those masks, it, it kind of levels all of us, you know, and uh, you know, right, puts us in the, the right part frame of the line. tradition and part of culture. Yeah, right. I, I just I, I've become a. a Hey, you know, and kind of Mardi Gras, remember, is we'd go from LSU and they'd just go down there and just stay, you know, it was all about being on Bourbon Street and being drunk. And, you know, and, and since I've moved back, I've, I've really come to understand its its special sort of connection to, to people here and what a great local event it is. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, we wrap up here, I wanted to touch briefly on how you and Mary have really opened your home to kind of help a lot of the nonprofits and a lot of these causes in New Orleans, whether it's one of the organizations like Friends of New Orleans or some of the local colleges and universities such as uh, Dillard and, and even uh, Tulane. You guys really have made New Orleans a big part of who you are and a lot of the things that you're working on 
as an individual kind of really speak to some of the larger challenges that we as a nation need to tackle. How is, how is this passion of service for you and for Mary being manifested each and every day as uh, you're down there in New Orleans? Well, I, you know, I think that we subconscious and we keep saying we're going to have a dinner party that doesn't have a purpose and we keep promising ourselves we're going to do it and we've just never gotten around to get it done yet because most all of the entertainment we do is purpose driven and we like that uh, don't get me wrong uh, people here uh, like to, to have a good time they like to, to, to have fun while doing good you know and uh, we're glad we, you know, we're able to have a house that is conducive to entertainment. Entertaining. We bought it with that in mind. It was one of the reasons that that we we bought the house. We did, uh, and we enjoy having. One day we'll have idea. You know, have ideas village. We'll have a teach for America thing. We'll have a, a thing for Dillard, or, or you know, a cafe reconcile. Or you, you name it. And uh, we enjoy that, and uh, we had a, actually did with, with uh, President Clinton over for a fundraiser for Terry McCall. It's always fun to have a ex-president in your house, and they, you know. Uh, so we do. When Mary's done, the, she, we've had Speaker Boehner in the house. She's done Republican events here too. We do a lot of that, and uh, we enjoy it. And I'm working on a, a, a new project here uh, that I'm, I'm getting very excited about. It's going to take a little while to bring to fruition, but I think we do. It's going to be a, a big, big uh, boost for our culture. Uh, so it's, it's, there's always something going on here. There's always a, a you know, an event or something happening. Well, James, we're going to have to bring you back some other time to talk about that new project. And Absolutely. And, and we will. Her. And it's going to be your, and you will love this new project. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it under wraps here, for, but it's not going to be under wraps for very long. Do we, do we get an exclusive? <laughs> uh, some, some version of it. I don't know, but you'll certainly get a lot of interviews, but it'll be something in very, 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 very significant sort of coach the event in our culture. Awesome. Okay, and we'll talk about it. All right, James Carville, we think. Thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprint. After the break, the better half of this power couple, Mary Madeline, joins us to talk about life, family, and New Orleans. You know, it's so beautiful there. The, the smell, the sounds of the church bells, or the streetcar clacking, or the, the street music, the architecture is unique in all of the country. The climate is fascinating. I mean, I just love the climate. I love everything about it, and they, they've really, really flourished there, and the, all the friends love coming there, so it, just, it, all, it all worked out. Next as World Footprints continues. My name is Mo. I'm born and raised in Alexandria, Egypt, and I live in New Orleans for almost 17 years, and I, I like to hear wallet food bread. Thank you. Seneca Falls, New York. For more information, Suffrage Wagon News Channel, suffragewagon.org. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. One of the greatest myths is that human trafficking is only a third world problem. 
that neither education, wealth, age, race, nor social standing protects one from becoming a victim of human trafficking. Awareness and action are key to fighting this crime against humanity. To report human trafficking or to learn more, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-3737-888. Collectively, we can put an end to human trafficking one step at a time. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Hi, this is Chantel from New Orleans. I love WorldFootprintsRadio.com. You guys rock. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. When you think of Republican politics, one of the names that always surfaces is Mary Madeline. Having served under President Ronald Reagan and both Presidents Bush 41 and 43, Mary is one of America's most celebrated and popular political consultants, but she's also a celebrated author, television and radio host, speaker and commentator, mother and wife. She's married to that cute Cajun guy from the other side of the aisle. Politics aside, Mary has left the Beltway and is now leaving a legacy of positive footprints in her new home, New Orleans. She's been named a Distinguished Lecturer of Political Science at Loyola University, and Mary is actively involved with a number of charitable organizations, including the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. Mary and James were most recently named 2012 New Orlean of the Year, and this dynamic couple showed bipartisan cooperation at its best when they co-chaired the New Orleans Super Bowl 47. Mary, it's a pleasure to meet you here, and thank you so much for joining World Footprints today. Well, thank you, Tanya and Ian. It's uh, my favorite topic, New Orleans, <laughs> my favorite topic in the world. Uh, ours, too, oddly enough. Um, and, and, you know, first I want to congratulate you on a wonderful Super Bowl. We are so proud of our adopted home of New Orleans, and even happier that our team, the Baltimore Ravens, won. Were, were you a Super Bowl fan or, or a football fan before the Super Bowl? Well, when we first moved down, of the many miraculous things that happened um, within a year or so of our being there, had nothing to do with us our being there, of course, was the Saints winning the Super Bowl, which was as amazing as the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciated that Ravens victory a lot. It was really, they earned it, and yeah. it just... Um, but we, the Super Bowl in New Orleans, which was a tenth, our tenth, is the only one other city that's tied for tenth. Um, we want to get another one and we want to break that tie, but we wanted it to be not just a Super Bowl, we wanted it to be a window on our world, if you will, to show the world, the country and the world, how, what can happen when people come together with purpose and resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people call it the comeback. I don't call it comeback. I'm saying push ahead because we're not just rebuilding, recovering. We're way 
advanced uh, other cities, I would say, and certainly better than we were while maintaining our, our charm and our culture and everything that you all love about New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Now, you've made New Orleans your home since 2008, but I, w- I want to go back a little bit and ask how a nice girl from the Midwest and as a fellow Midwesterner, we're, made, we're salt of the earth, but how did you mm-hmm. find yourself in the thick of politics in the Beltway, and where did your love of politics come from? I grew up in South Chicago in the steel mills. My mother was a hairdresser. My daddy worked in the steel mills. I'm the oldest uh, and, and ethnic. I'm Croatian and Irish. So I was the first granddaughter of the first son. So I was kind of raised to not only with that, the Midwestern values, but the immigrant values of working hard for what you want. And then my dad didn't make any hit any gender distinction just so I could be praising to think I could be anything I wanted to be so I had a, a certain I'd look at back on it now a certain what some considered impulsivity at the time but mm-hmm. I considered it a fearlessness so um, that when I went away to college um, I I've got a 3.8 or 3.9 or whatever but I mean I like to read and I like to study but I really like to work and the and the, the camp there's a campaigns and elections class and I it just loved it. I just it was love at first sight. My first job was to be the back end of an elephant in the Lincoln Day Parade. Mm-hmm. And I loved that professor and he subsequently left teaching to work on campaigns, so the the rest is history. But I'm philosophically and dispositionally a a constitutional conservative. You know, the Republican Party is defined and redefined and relabeled and branded in lots of, you know, close-in fights. But the bigger picture is um, that attracts me philosophically is uh, constitutionalism, federalism, and or you know, the Catholic subsidiarity and solidarity, the combination of what makes free people work best together for their families and their communities. So it all, it's all of a piece to me, and I loved New Orleans you know, growing up in Chicago, it's kind of, we're kind of exotic there. You know, we have ethnicities, and we have food, and we have art, and we have genuine eccentrics. And I say that in the most loving uh, and, and gracious and complimentary of ways. So uh, when, long before I met one raging Cajun, I loved <laughs> New Orleans, and I loved coming down there when, uh, in, and it was the, the climate was so different from Chicago. I mean, just was, it was like, I just it was so exotic, and it was so the people were so memorable, the, and the art, just everything. It's a sensory bombardment, and we got married there. And I said, well, let's get married here." And then we always kind of, you know, we got back every time, every chance we could have. And of course, we were um, actively involved in the Katrina, post Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, the engineering failure, as my husband calls it. And it was an act of fearlessness, I have to say, or impulsivity, but I, I, to move the kids and they were 10 and 12, that was my, I was not fearless about that, but I presumed that they would adjust and love this as well as I, and uh, I might have overreached there. That was, yeah. that was kind of young for them to be moving, but they do love it, so mm-hmm. but it was a bit of an adjustment. Well, that's certainly the important thing that, you know, it's, it's about the family, and you've touched on how central New Orleans has been to your personal life, your professional life, and I know 
it surprised some folks when you and James picked up and left uh, Northern Virginia, D.C., and headed on down to New Orleans, uh, despite some of the challenges in that city. Uh, talk about what some of those reasons were and, and how New Orleans just resonated with you that this is the right move to make at this point in our lives. Well, if you're a person of faith, which I am, um, so nice you just had to open your heart and open your mind and listen to what your heart is telling you. And it just it just felt right. We weren't running away from Washington or running away from politics. We're still involved, uh, deeply involved in national politics. But um, there, uh, you mentioned in that lovely introduction the presence that I've worked for, and I worked for Vice President Cheney in the 9/11 White House at war. And you know, I just had been there for 30 years, and it was it was. Um, Distracting for the kids, you know, they were, one's a liberal, one's a conservative, they're highly opinionated, gee, I wonder where they got that. And then, they, so that's one, the liberals always answering for Cheney, and the conservatives always answering for the Clintons. They said, no, this is not what I want my kids to think politics is. So we weren't running away from politics, we still love it, but I wanted a less transactional environment for the girls to grow up in, and a more um, sensual in the sense of, all their senses being cultivated and stimulated by the, you know, it's so beautiful there. The, you get the smells, the sounds of the church bells, the streetcar clacking, or the, the street music, the architecture is unique in all of the country. The climate is fascinating. I mean, I just love the climate. I love everything about it, and they've, they've really, really flourished there, and all their friends love coming there, so it, just, it, all, it all worked out. In in fact, you you describe New Orleans as kind of a, a you know a spiritual experience, and and I understand that I can't articulate why, but it's that type of city that just really touches your soul. In in, in, two, in two ways, I'll tell you, because I, I I've thought about this a lot. That when we first moved down there, and it still was a mess, a big mess. Okay, everywhere. Just as a politician, as a practical policymaker, everywhere I looked, I could see the impact of the work of the church. The church was involved in everything, from getting people back up on their feet to food to all the traditional things. But the the support of the Catholic community and its convening capacity uh, relative to all the denominations, all the, the faith-based uh, operations there, you could just see it. And it's, it, so it was um, from the practical impact of the work of the church as opposed to the blah, 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 New York Times version of the church, which I always knew was not complete. Mm-hmm. Right. Then um, you add to that the literal beauty, and everywhere you turn you see the face of God. You see the hand of God in the work and the face of God in the in the foliage, in the, the air. I mean, you could smell it. You could taste it. I mean, that my, when we moved there this summer, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced night-blooming jasmine. Oh, my God. It's like walking through perfume, and the, and the air is so... Uh, it's not humid. It's like moisturizing. All of our skin is improved. <laughs> our hair is a mess, but our skin is... You know, it's just that everything was like... 
a gift. It's, everything felt like the, the hand of God, the face of God, a gift of grace. And I, it's very, very, uh, you know, God gave us all these senses to use them, and they are in hyper-use in New Orleans. It's just beauty and truth. That's, that's what it is. Mm, that, that's a wonderful description, Mary, and I, I, I truly appreciate that you know your 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 explanation and, and I mean it helps put things into perspective um, for me also as as a person of, of faith and and you're so right you know and you've really immersed yourself in New Orleans and I love that the, the work that you're doing with um, the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra you know Irvin Mayfield is a friend he's been on our show before we we love him he's a true jazz. Artists, talk a little bit about what you're doing uh, with the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra and, and why that selected organization has become a focus of yours. Well, we met Irvin and Ron Markham were one of the first people we met, but before I even knew where I was, when Street Day was on, I was tuned in at WWOB. I mean, I just flocked to it. I just found it and haven't changed the dial since the first night I was there. And I love the music, I love the indigenous nature of the music, the originality of the music, and I love Irvin and, and Ronald and the whole gang, but I didn't I don't really do much except support them and talk about them and try to I mean, it's Irvin and Ronald are the killer workers, you know, I mean they get it, they're so, both so creative and competent and inspired and inspiring and to the extent they are not just providing the access to that unique music to listeners from all over the world, they are maintaining the heritage by uh, keeping keeping the old masters together and connecting them with the the young students. So uh, he's just, and they're, and they're great, wonderful people. I'm, I'm not surprised that he's a friend. And, and, and Ron Foreman is the chairman of the board, and there's some great people on the board that go in and Packer and a bunch of them, and they're just really, it's just, you know, they lead, we follow, so they're Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers on this, they're just, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience, mm-hmm. and as is, I'm also doing work with the uh, the Water Institute, which is a new um, repository in Central Clearinghouse for Coastal Restoration, and the Nature Conservancy, Conservancy, which all fits together. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got to preserve not just the heritage, but literally the land, um, which it's a unique state all around, not just New Orleans. So, it's but it takes it takes work, it takes people doing it. It's not gonna, the government's not going to do it. Yeah. So. And it's, and it's just good to know that those are bipartisan things that uh, we can wrap ourselves around regardless of where we stand on the aisle. Um, one of the things I wanted to get a sense from you is that you travel so much and you get a chance to come home to New Orleans uh, with James and the family. And when you guys are home, where do you like to go in New Orleans? What are some of those places that have become your favorite places to see when uh, you're home? You know, first let me say this. We were kind of, you know, we're older parents. I had them at 42 and 45, and they, when we moved down there, they were 10 and 12. So I didn't doubt our decision for us. I, I just wanted it to work for them. So every time we'd get off the plane in New Orleans, no matter where we were, and we do travel all over the world, the minute we would walk outside 
uh, MSY and smell the air, I'd turn and go, right decision, good decision, bad decision, go, good decision, and high five. I mean, it just really was the, the right decision. And we like that it's impossible to pick a favorite place because they're all favorite. And I've, you know, however many years we've been there now, five, six, I forget. I never fail every single day to see something new. I mean, it's just so much to see. I, but I guess our favorite place is our own house. We love our home and, you know, this favorite churches is we go to St. Stephen's and such. But it's just, I you can't, it would really be, um, but that's the beauty of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. There is no one fabulous, perfect, you know, repeat place. There's just endless, it's endless succession of, of loveliness. You know, you're you're absolutely right. This will be our sixth consecutive year coming down for French Quarter Festival, and every single year we have new guests, we have new eateries and new attractions. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think when I'm 90 years old, if I God you know blesses me to live that long, um, we'll have new things to to talk about on on World Footprints in in New Orleans. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about your latest book, Letters to My Daughter. Um, your book made the New York Times and Washington Post bestsellers list. I, I love one section, a uh, sentence in your book where you're talking to uh, or writing to the girls and saying, you know, you're a 50-something-year-old whose body is being hijacked by hormones, and you tell the girls, if you don't believe me, ask your dad. <laughs> what is the premise for this book, and what inspired you to write it? Well, my own mother died young and we were very very close and it was devastating to me and I I I just wanted not I wanted the wisdom of her and also my grandmother the wisdom of the ages of women but in particular my mother was a special person Mm -hmm. I did not want to be not not to be morbid but I I wrote that correct the year after the year that she died, at that same age, and I just wanted I I just wanted them to have those little uh, things with them. I didn't intend for it to be a bestseller. I didn't care if anybody read it. It was just kind of a forced discipline to make me finish it. Otherwise, I you know I'm always writing letters to them and such, but I I put it together in a book form and it's translated into all kinds of different languages. And yeah, people. Uh, mothers and fathers have come to really like it, and for daughters and sons. And it's not an advice book or anything like that. It's just what's in, is in my heart, mm-hmm. in my mother's heart, to give to her grandkids. So that's that was the inspiration. And I always said, I don't like writing books. We're about to embark on writing another one. I write longhand. I always say it's like giving birth without an epidural, but that one, um, and I, and when I'm done with the book, I shut it and I never read it again. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful gift that you gave uh, not only your daughters but everybody, and you know you and uh, James continue to give a lot um, to other people. You open your home uh, to a lot of worthy, um, you know, causes, and and I mean, you just really open your heart. How do you what organizations or types of organizations really inspire you to to give? back and, and to offer support is is there a, a particular um, you know are you more inclined to the arts or to education no, no I'm more 
I'm in, well, I'm the environment in the sense that of coastal restoration and mm-hmm. preserving uh, that. But I'm inclined, and this might be my philosophical bent, to entrepreneurship and young people fearlessly staking out. And there's a there's a young man there named Travis Lundin who's who's single-handedly making uh, silicone south. He's he's making. Uh, uh, code makers and developers and a technical prowess that's akin to Silicon Valley. He's going at LA Lab. I mean, I love people like that. He's creative and he's a genius and he, and he wants to stay there. So I'm less inclined to the established, not against them, less inclined to the uh, established and more compelled to the newer Startups and mm-hmm. the startup of a startup, and I like the the Water Institute because it's uh, impactful because of its uh, for the first time centralizing all the science and plans for coastal restoration. So uh, some of these you know established things, they're your it's all it's done and it's always to do what you always did, and you know what I mean. These new right. ones, you got you just really pave away and that's a, uh, the timing of coming to New Orleans uh, was so perfect because everything was a startup. We had to start over from scratch. So, mm-hmm. And I love music so I, that's why the Nojo thing is is music and jazz fest and the French quarter fest and I just you can't just you know one of the things that Travis developed or his code makers developed was a this is interesting you should have them on if you have time when you're down a tip, a, a digital tip jar for street musicians. We have 150 mm. or so, Ooh. or more, street musicians. And, you know, people don't carry cash anymore. They just carry cards, particularly young people. So they made this app where they, the street musician has a barcode, and you hit their barcode, and the PayPal goes right to tips them. And then that links you to their site and their where their acts are. And it's it's very inexpensive uh, to pull together for the users, but it's 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 won all kinds of awards already. He developed that that and more in a forty eight hour hackathon uh, for to develop apps for the Super Bowl. So that's the kind of stuff I love. This is really exciting to me. I think we started he started rather nothing to do with this four separate companies just from the applications. And the codes that they they made at the hackathon. What an awesome idea! <laughs> he came out yeah, simple. I think somebody else started that company already, so I'm sure it is sweeping the nation. But you should give him a holler and mm. visit with him when you're down, because there's all kinds of ideas that would uh, be of national application in the Kravis world. LA Labs. Not to be confused with L.A. Okay. <laughs> One of the things that you're well known for as well, Mary, is your, your wonderful marriage. And your 20-year marriage is really a case study for marital commitment, faith, and bipartisan cooperation. What, what, what do you attribute to your marital success? And what advice would you have for younger married couples like Ian and I? Good wine. <laughs> that one we do. Uh, a girl after my own heart. <laughs> you know, I always say faith, family, and good wine. But the truth is, we're not. People mischaracterize marital harmony as some sort of bipartisan, or they, they misanalogize it. We're not bipartisan. I mean, I'm very, very right, and he's very, very wrong. So I don't. <laughs> I was 40 when we got married. I don't. I know why I think what I think. He lives the values. 
that I respect. Mm. I'm not, and you know, that's philosophy of life and how you live. He's a great husband. He's a great daddy. He's a great brother. He's a great son. Uh, he's a great neighbor. He's a very soulful person, so I can forgive him his trespasses of ridiculous political <laughs> philosophy. And then, you know, but the other trick that, I don't know, this doesn't matter for young people, but it matters if you get married late in life, which we did. I have my own closet in my own bathroom. He has his own closet in his own bathroom. We have our own spaces, and then we have our common spaces, and, you know, we don't, some. We don't, we just, we don't belabor a lot. We like all the same stuff. We love traveling. We love history. We love, you know, other than he doesn't know any music after Elvis. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of, but he's a really endlessly fascinating, interesting guy. And we do have giant big fights to which I say, um, when we stop fighting, you need to stop worrying because it's, you know, I just, I didn't love him so much. We couldn't, couldn't get so crazy, but. But he's just, he's the most interesting person I've ever known. So I don't know what more to say. I mean, we're blessed. It's a gift. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I, I decided when I met you um, briefly several years ago, I was working for a political uh, candidate here in Maryland, and you spoke at his fundraiser, um, Bob Ehrlich. And um, I thought, you know, I don't remember very much of what you said, but you you had a uh, comedic line that has always stayed with me. You were speaking, and without missing a beat, your telephone rang. Your cell phone rang, and without missing a beat, you said, uh, "Honey, I won't be home for dinner. There's popcorn in the in the cupboard." And then you continued with your presentation. <laughs> and I thought well, that you- was not for James. That was for my daughter. James doesn't eat popcorn. Oh, <laughs> my daughter's a popcorn freak. Well, that you want to know how I do it all? People, how do you do it all? Because I have like a snap answer for every every everybody wants something from the mom, right? And, yeah. And the, so you'd like answer woman, and I know what everybody's answers are and their go-to places, and that's that's how I just shorthanded for the day. So I, I wasn't trying to be comedic. That's how my life works. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, I I'd say in your uh, your next you know Mary 4.0, your next transition, try stand-up comedy because you you uh, your uh, your delivery, your timing is spot on. Uh, you know what? I don't know if I can say this on on the show, but it's not that I'm comedic. I'm just a smart ass, and it's always been <laughs> what it is. So, and that's a term of art. Let's just leave it like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, Mary Madeline, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today on on World Footprints, and we hope we get a chance to see you on one of our visits down to New Orleans. Well, thank you for loving New Orleans, and just every year, every minute, it gets better and better. So, rock on, live in Naples, Tom Hey, hey, let the good times roll. <laughs> Take care, my dear. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with James Carville and Mary Madeline in their passion for New Orleans. And we hope to see you during one of our many visits to New Orleans. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, check out our World Footprints Discovery Tours for a journey of a lifetime to some of the most remarkable places on the planet. Now also, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on your favorite social network. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel 
that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi guys, my name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.